So let's open to Psalm 119. We're going to pray, and then we're going to start reading at verse number 25. We'll read from verse 25 down to verse number 40. So we'll, we'll uh, finish up, hopefully finish up uh, the, the uh, fourth set, which is what we started last week, and go into some verses into the fifth set. Hopefully we can get back on track. We're a little bit behind from our uh, sets, but I don't want to get bogged down because there are 22 uh, letters in the alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet here. So uh, I want to just keep moving here. All right, so let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for, first, for your goodness and grace to us. Lord, for your sustaining power. Thank you that you allowed us to, uh, to wake up this morning, that you give us the grace of life. Uh, thank you, Lord, for the 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 lives of each and every one of your people here this morning. Lord, I pray for them. I pray for your grace to be upon them even as they uh, hear and listen to your word. Lord, you know what their needs are. Uh, You know what their burdens are. And you know what their spiritual needs are. You know the places that they they might need comfort, that they might need correction, that they might need encouragement. Uh, and direction. Lord, you know the hearts of everyone, so Lord, I can't possibly know these things. But Lord, I pray that you would teach us from your word as we look at it this morning. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. It just occurred to me that I left all of these on. Sorry, you should have said something. You should have said something. Okay, you want me to turn it off? All right, then I will, how about I do this? There, that way you don't hear a blowing sound coming into the microphone. Okay, is everybody comfortable? Okay, we need to have zoned air conditioning and heating in this room. And we'll color code the pews based upon the comfort level from red to to blue. All right. All right, Psalm 119, verse number 25. Again, main theme being the Word of God. So as I go through Psalm 119, uh, there's a lot of different directions you can go as you read different uh, phrases and different words, and you can see things repeated. But I've tried to make sure that I stay on the track of the Word of God. And so that's why there is this constant emphasis on the Word of God and how it affects our life. Just as a, as, a, as a review, remember that Psalm 119 is, is an expression of one man, right, the psalmist, one man's personal relationship to God by means of his word, right? That's what we've, in other words, there's a lot of devotional things in here about our own personal walk with God and the effect that the word of God has on our life. Uh, and in our relationship to God. There, there is no, just as I know all of you know this, we talked about this a lot, but there is no way to have a relationship to God without His Word. And I don't mean there's no way to have a relationship to God unless you read your Bible. What I'm saying is the Word of God and the revelation of what God says in the Scripture is the basis of our relationship to God. That's how we know about God. It's not because we feel a certain way. Sometimes our feelings are wrong, right? It's not because we think certain things or we can argue and maybe 
we, we have apologetics and we can argue and reason. No, 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 no. That's the problem with, uh, with the idea of deism, this idea that we can reason, reason God into our conclusions. No, 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 no. We believe, according to the Scripture, we believe that God has given us a revelation, right? That's what the Bible is. And that's the means and that's the basis of our knowledge of God. So our relationship to God is going to be based upon that. All right, verse 25. My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. I have declared my ways, and thou heardest me. Teach me thy statutes. Now remember, as I continue, remember, we would do well to make some of these prayers our prayers. I have done that this week. In one of the verses in the fifth set that we're going to look at today, I have actually done that this week, and it's helped me. I encourage you to do the same. Make these prayers your prayers according as you, you feel them. Like Miss Karen mentioned, the melting of the soul. You know, the burden. Pray that prayer. That's one reason we're memorizing it. Verse 27, Make me to understand the way of thy precepts. So shall I talk of thy wondrous works. My soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according unto thy word. Remove from me the way of lying, and grant me thy law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. I have stuck unto thy testimonies. O Lord, put me not to shame. I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my Heart, not cart. Verse 33, Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep it unto the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me to go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. Incline my heart unto thy testimonies, and not to covetousness. Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, and quicken thou me in thy way. Establish thy word unto thy servant, who is devoted to thy fear. Turn away my reproach which I fear, for thy judgments are good. Behold, I have longed after thy precepts. Quicken me in thy righteousness. You don't know that I have noticed things repeating. Things repeating. That's why we did the major theme study and we looked at those things separately. So we'll probably skip over some of those things that we already studied. Now, last week we talked about, uh, we talked about verse 26, an important fact of uh, point and principle of the Scripture, which is the idea of confession. Confession. Declaring one's ways. Declaring one's ways. And we, so we discussed that uh, to some degree. We also looked at verse 27 um, and how that, how that the way we can understand God's wondrous works. What is the primary way we understand God's wondrous works and what God is doing and has done? What's that? Yes. By the Bible. We're not left to, we're not left to, uh, to, to mystery as to, as to what God is doing and has done. That's, listen, let, let me give you an example why that's so important. 
and I, I might have mentioned this, this last week, but in the religious world, you know, like we're a part of that, you know, in some way or another. In the religious world, you can read about and see, and especially now with, the, with social media. I know not all of you are on social media. Some of you that are older, that's just not something that's on your radar. But the people that are younger, it is, on, and I'm one of them, it is on our radar. And as the generations change and new things come up and people start to do them, you know, you got you to you discuss those things, right? So one thing that's happened with social media is that these ideas in the religious world that used to be kind of far off are now in your face. All kinds of ideas about uh, casting out demons, uh, speaking in tongues, a lot of the stuff with charis- in the charismatic movement, I see a lot in my social media. Not because I choose to follow that, it's because the algorithm gives it to me without my request. <laughs> and so that's what happens. Well, here's the thing. When that kind of stuff comes into social media and you see someone explaining their, uh, their, their giving a testimony. Listen, I, outside of this, I don't, I, don't like, I don't mingle with Pentecostal and charismatic type of people. That's just not in my orbit, right? It's probably mostly not in your orbit either because of, you know, that disagreement. And it's not that all those people are, you know, going to hell or anything. It's not what I'm saying, but I'm just saying there's, a, there's an actual disagreement there, okay? So when I see on social media, I see someone who is describing this grand and emotional experience the, uh, the first time they spoke in tongues and they say, God did this. God allowed them to speak in the language of angels. That's what they say. Listen, we don't have to take what people say, say at face value. Well, that's mean. Sorry. If you're telling me God did something, I'm not believing you because you say it. Verse 27. I know what God is doing because of what the Word of God says He has done and is doing. You see? So I look at an example, like I'm just giving you a practical example that I have actually seen and observed. The Bible does not refer to us, anyone ever, speaking in the language of angels. And the gift of tongues in the Bible were actual human languages that God gave the ability to speak those languages spontaneously for the benefit of some hearer. That's the biblical doctrine of tongues. Do I know what that person that's given this testimony is talking about? I have no idea. Do I know why it's happening? No, but I don't, have to, I don't have to have an explanation for everything. All I have to do is know what God says, and that helps me and informs me about what God is doing. All right, look at verse number 20. Uh, we also looked at verse number 28. We talked about the little phrase that's repeated in Psalm 119, according unto thy word. So, uh, and, and the importance of making the word of God, what God says, a part of your prayer life. And then I want to look at verse number 29, which is an important point. Verse 29 and 30 go together. Say this. Remove from me the way of lying and grant me thy law graciously. Of course, we know that lying is, stands in opposition to God's law. Which commandment forbids us from lying of the Ten Commandments? Which one? Correct. Now, sometimes it, you know, I'll be honest. When you really want a hard-hitting verse about lying, you're trying to witness to somebody, you want a hard-hitting verse about lying, that really isn't it. Because <laughs> bear false witness, it does mean lying. But 
there are New Testament examples that where, where a hard-hitting verse about lying is, you can find that where the actual word lie is found. But, uh, but lying is in direct opposition to God's word because God's word is truth. Thy word is truth, John 17 says that. The word of God is truth. God, listen, God expects us to embrace the truth no matter what, right? No matter what, no matter if it's painful, no matter if it shames us, no matter if the fallout is difficult as a result of that truth, no matter if it brings about persecution or loss financially or otherwise, God expects us to always, always, always embrace the truth, stand with the truth. And again, I've said this before in our church, at different times in Sunday school, other opportunities I've had to, to, to preach and such. No Christian should ever be ashamed or should ever shy away from the truth. The truth is not something that we fear. And here's the thing. If there is some aspect of our life that is secret, that we feel a, an urge to hide or cover or lie about, and we can't fully embrace the truth in that part of our life. We need to deal with that part of our life so that the truth is something that we are not fearful of. And then in verse number 30, he says, I have chosen the way of truth. So in verse 29, he says, remove from me the way of lying. Verse 30, I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. The way of truth versus lying. Now, there's different ways you can look at this and different ways truth applies. So let's look at a few of them just as a, as a meditation. You know, sometimes, sometimes and I, I think sometimes we don't appreciate this, sometimes God's Word is ambiguous enough to allow us to see different facets of it if we think about it. In other words, it doesn't get really, really specific because the Lord is broad enough to include a number of things. And this is one example. When we talk about the way of lying versus the way of truth in verses 29 and 30, we could be talking about truth in the doctrinal sense. In other words, what does the Bible actually say and teach? What is true doctrinally and what is false? Not everything that peddled is true. That is peddled is true. We're talking about, when we talk about the truth in a doctrinal sense, like Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. We talk about doctrinal truth, that which is true of the spiritual world, of the moral world, about God, about man, about sin. These are doctrinal truths about the end times, about heaven, about hell, doctrinal truth. It is important that we have purity and soundness of faith according to the scripture. Listen, again, Every Christian should be well-informed as to your doctrinal beliefs. I know our church has, a, we have a, a constitution which includes a doctrinal statement. Now, you might not be able to, you know, in other words, you might not be, it might not be, you know, your expertise to be able to defend that with every verse and all that. But listen, you ought not just check off the box that say, oh yeah, I believe whatever church believes. That's not good enough. You, you and I, every one of us, man or woman, 
ought to have at least some kind of, of intelligence and grasp and understanding of what the Bible does actually say and why it says it. We should not just be, you know, bobbleheads and just nodding to everything that, you know, the pastor says, because that'll, listen, that'll lead to a lot of error. I want to tell you something. Sometimes the pastor, when he covers verses of the Bible, says things that cut across the way we feel and that cut across what society says. And if we're not grounded in the, in the doctrine of Scripture, it's going to rub us the wrong way. Even this morning, as I was studying and preparing to, 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 to preach this morning, there are some things, some descriptions in the Scripture that really are difficult for people to accept. But the, really, the question comes down to, to, to it is this. Is the Bible true? Is this what the truth is, doctrinally speaking? The second thing about truth is truth in a practical sense. So you have doctrinal sense, truth in a practical sense. And what I mean by that is speaking the truth to others in all cases and circumstances and absolutely abhorring anything deceptive. Now here we go. Here's where we, we start to split hairs in practice. We say, oh, I believe the truth. I always tell the truth. But then we're, when we're put in certain circumstances, when the pressure is on, sometimes we choose to intentionally mislead or maybe leave things out that are true that would uh, maybe cast a different light on what we're saying. In other words, our intention is to deceive. Now, we might not say an overt lie, but remember what 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 says. Speaking of Jesus, says, He did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Guile is deception. Ephesians 4.25 says this, put away, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. So you have truth in a practical sense, truth in the doctrinal sense. And then lastly, I wrote down truth in a personal sense. What does that mean? It means truth as it applies to me being a, an honest, sincere, and genuine Christian. A genuine, be, being honest, sincere, and genuine in our faith, that is what we believe, and in our life. Having no pretense. That means hypocrisy. Saying one thing and saying we, saying we, we believe and and are one thing, but in private or in a different set of circumstances or something else. That is untruthful. Hypocrisy is at its core a lie. Pretense is at its core a lie. A facade, as far as, a, not buildings, but as far as people are concerned, is a lie. The Bible sometimes uses the term a cloak. A cloak that is something that covers and hides. Philippians 1.8. Philippians 1, I'm sorry, Philippians 1.18 says, whether in pretense or in truth. Let me read that to you. Philippians chapter 1, verse 18. Talking about those that preach the gospel 
But there were people that preached the gospel in a way that was harmful to Paul, or their, that was in their intention, which is, which is really kind of interesting. But it says then in verse 18, What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense... Remember, that's a, listen, that's a good old word we don't use, but that's a good word we all ought to know, pretense. You know what that means? It means putting on airs, being a fake. Paul says, whether for this preacher, those preaching the gospel, but doing it in such a way that they think it'll bring harm upon Paul, he says, whether they're fakes, but notice the contrast, or in truth. You see that contrast? Pretense. Being a fake, having a facade, being a hypocrite versus truth, being real, being sincere, being genuine. Listen, just as a, as a practical matter, as a personal matter, I know there are some times we have to bite our lips. I know there are some times when we want to say something, but we hold back. Uh, but it should not be that we carry around a fake smile all the time. It should not be that what is on our face and our presentation to others and what is in our heart disagree. Now, again, there are extremes to this. You know, I mean, if you're having a bad day, that doesn't mean you should mope around and try to make everybody else's day bad is also, right? But on the other hand, if what's in our heart and what, is, what we present to others is constantly in disagreement. And we just smile to everybody, but in our heart is malice and ill will and anger and hostility and criticism. You know, that disagreement is not okay. It is not, it is not consistent with truth. That's, that's what we're talking about in Psalm 119. So that's the personal aspect. So you have doctrinal truth, practical truth, and then you have personal truth. Man, I I can think of few things other than overt sin. I can think of few things that will harm your relationship to God more than than being a fake to God and and living and acting and praying as if God doesn't know who you really are, who I really am. That, I mean, that that will absolutely hamstring our relationship to God. Look at verse 30, if you would. I want to look at the, the, second phrase, the second sentence. Thy judgments have I laid before me. Look at a few of these verses I, I noted here. Jeremiah 9, verse 13. And the Lord saith, because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, neither walk therein. Look at Nehemiah chapter 9, or just listen to it. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 26. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against thee and cast thy law behind their backs and slew thy prophets, which testified against them to turn them to thee. And they wrought great provocations. And then you have Psalm 50, verse 17. Let's look at that psalm while we're here. Psalm 50, if you would. I read the first two, so let's look at the third together. Psalm 50, verse 17. Or verse 16, really get the context. 
Psalm 50, verse 16. It says this, But unto the wicked God saith, What hast thou to do to declare my statutes? Stop right there. Is that not what we just got done saying? Here you have a man that God says is wicked. Why is he declaring God's statutes? He's a fake. You see that? A man who is wicked is declaring God's statutes. He's a faker. Other people think he's a religious man. Other people think he's a teacher, whatever. And God says, and God rebukes him and says, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? <laughs> That's pretty strong. That's pretty strong. All right, so here's the question. For someone who, who is wicked but has a front and has a facade that they are godly, does God want them? This is just a, this is kind of a philosophical thinking, thinking question. Does, for that person, does God want them to continue to declare his statutes because, you know, after all, they are declaring his statutes or does God want them to shut their mouth? What do you think? What's that? She says shut their mouth? Now, anybody else? She's taking the meat middle ground. <laughs> I think you could argue both. Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, whether in pretense or in truth, you had the faker. And Paul says, I rejoice that the gospel was preached. But that's Paul's viewpoint, Right? But then you have this verse, which seems to say kind of the opposite. From God's viewpoint, God is saying, what are you doing? What hast thou to do? You're out of place, which is what it's saying. And so on, on the one hand, from God's point of view, God's, God's saying, look, I don't need you to declare my statutes and bring reproach by your life upon what I have said. But from the human perspective, like in, like in Philippians 1, it says, well, at least the truth is going out. So you have kind of both kind of intention a little bit. But I, what struck me about this is how direct God is. God is. Verse number uh, 16, what hast thou to do to declare my statutes or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth? Get it out of your mouth. <laughs> yes, sir. We all do wicked things. But the phrase, the wicked in the Bible, in the Psalms and in Proverbs, is a special category. If you follow that out, it is, and I think you're right, it is a special category of people who are intentionally rejecting God's Word. And Paul's not just wicked, he says, and these are the servants of God. He rebukes them in all the truth. There you go. See, look at this. All this combined wisdom. 
guess I should silence my phone, eh? I wish Mrs. Myers could hear me say, eh? Because she's from Canada. All right, I, I'm, I'm, I'm slowing down here. You got to gotta help me speed up. All right, verse 17. Talking to the wicked. Seeing thou hatest instruction, notice, and castest my words behind thee. So instead of God's word, as in Psalm 119, verse 30, says, I have laid thy, have I laid thy, thy test, judgments have I laid before me, in front of me. It says, I have cast them behind me, behind my back. You see, as a believer, the word of God should be in front of us. Always visible, always influencing our decisions. But see, in order for us to sin, what must we do? We must block it out or throw it behind us. Because if it's behind us, it's definitely not in front of our, our eyes to remind us of what it says. Verse 31, I have stuck unto thy testimonies. Actually, this word stuck is the same as the word translated cleave unto dust. You know, there are going to be times... There are going to be times you as a Christian and I as a Christian become kind of disillusioned, disappointed, and can't really understand why things are happening the way they're happening. And what we had hoped toward the Lord and what we had been praying for doesn't come to pass like we had hoped. And in, listen now, please. In those times of disillusionment, we need to say, Lord, I don't understand it, but I am stuck to your commandments. We don't have to understand everything that happens to us for us to be loyal and faithful to what to to God and to his word. Because honestly, I think there are times the Lord actually puts us in sometimes in positions where we are where our faith is tested. When we have disappointment to see, just like he did with Saul. Was Saul going to be stuck to God's commandment when God withdrew? And he, of course, we know Saul failed, and he wasn't. Verse 32, I am not getting anywhere close to as much done as I wanted to. Verse 32, I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. I'll have to end here. Look at Nehemiah chapter 8. You can leave the Psalms. Nehemiah chapter 8. I guess I better turn the right direction, huh? Nehemiah sounds like it should be in the prophets, but it's not. Nehemiah chapter 8. This is a principle I want us to all get from Psalm 119. I'll read the verse again. I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. Now, what does it mean to enlarge one's heart? That's the first thing we have to understand. If you say, if you say, oh, that guy, he has a, he has a big heart. He has a large heart. You might not say large. We say you have a big heart. What does that mean? Generous, right? All right, if you were to say in Cambodian, he has a big heart, you would be saying he's arrogant. That's quite the opposite. One missionary told me a story when they were first 
when they had first started to learn Khmer, where they were trying to describe somebody as generous, and they say, thinking that the, the uh, figure of speech applied in Cambodian like it does in English, saying he has a big heart, and it actually said he was arrogant. They were quite embarrassed at that fact. But now we're in a different language altogether. We're in Hebrew now. All right? Hebrew translating into English for us. What does it mean to have a large heart? Here's what I read on it. It means to expand or swell the heart with gratitude or affection. Increase the capacity of the heart for affection. Widen the range of, of affections. And you read it in 1 Corinthians as well. Paul, being a Jew, used the same figure of speech. Our heart is enlarged unto you. Affection. Here's the point I want to make from, make from this. The verse says, I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. So he's talking about his affection. He's talking about what is in essence his joy. In other words, his joy and affection and feeling his toward God. All right, here's the principle. If you look at Nehemiah chapter 8, you see this principle. And you have heard this verse before. Let's look at chapter 8 verse 8. It says this. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Tirshaphah, that's the governor, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept. So they heard the word of God, the law of God, and hearing about it, you know, you know the whole history of Nehemiah. They're in a bad place. But hearing the law of God, they wept. Verse 10. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry... For the joy of the Lord is your strength. The principle is, when you rejoice in the Lord, when you have joy, your strength is increased. Service to God is best done when we are strengthened with joy. If we find ourselves lethargic in our service to God, you and I should check our joy. Now, listen to, listen to this. Verse 32 of Psalm 119. I will run the way of thy commandments. That tells me there's vigor. That tells me there's excitement. There's desire. There's haste. This is not lethargic obedience. This is zealous obedience. But it says, when thou shalt enlarge my heart. There's the joy, that feeling toward God. You know what? As, as, this, uh, as uh, Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Listen, if you have trouble in running after God's commandments and you're lethargic and I'm lethargic, here's, here's what, what I've been trying to do. Lord, I need joy. I need your joy. I need you to make my heart happy in God. 
And the effect of that is strength. The effect of that is zeal. The effect of that is desire to run in the way of God's commandments. Not walk. And we see walking in God's commandments many times in Psalm 119, right? But this is to run. This is desire. So words are joy. If, you know, when I, lack, when I lack joy, and sometimes I do lack joy, in, or I lack desire and zeal in serving God. Sometimes that happens. And, you know, it's, it's hard to do things when you're sad, even if you know they're right. The joy is what gives you strength to follow God's Word, to do His commandments. We will have to stop there. Now, I have two verses this week. Depending on how it goes, you guys can memorize one or the other. We might have to have two weeks for it, but if we do, that's okay. If you look at Psalm 119, or you can note it, I'll just tell you what they are. Verse number 36 and or verse number 38 will be our memory verses for this week. All right, everybody note that that wants to note it. All right, let's pray together.